Good evening, podcast listener. You know, I feel a little remiss because in the in the podcast description for for the Capo podcast, there is a there's a sentence that says uh, preparedness. Like like this podcast is going to talk about prepper stuff, and I have yet to talk about just just you know tinfoil hat prepper stuff, guns. I've I've yet to, I've yet to do an episode in that vein. And so tonight, uh, screw your tinfoil hats down tight, um, get your guns out, and, I don't know, clean them or something, because you probably haven't in a while, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about prepper stuff, and not the crappy TV version, but, but real life kind of just general application of how to be prepared, and if this is timely, because we're doing our book study this month, and you've probably already forgotten, and none of you are probably reading it, but at the end of the month, we're going to do a summary and analysis of The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And The Road is a post-apocalyptic novel. That's the setting in which the story takes place. And so I thought it would be fun to do a podcast on being prepared, Bring, being prepared for bad things, to happen. And I don't mean emotionally prepared. This isn't going to be like a, like what you can do to prepare your mind, though you should. Um, and it's not going to be like uh, politically. I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from the politics as much as I possibly can. We're, I mean, literally, what can you literally do to be prepared? That's going to be the topic of the evening. And if you're relatively new to the podcast, this will be a real change of pace from last week when we were talking about homeschooling. This is, I don't know if there's, most podcasts kind of have a, like a thing they do every day or every week, and and I want mine to be different. I mean, we talk about everything. We started with the audiobooks, and then me talking about the the ideas behind the audiobooks, and then we just went just to all different kinds of stuff, culture and Western civilization and history and ideas and philosophy and all kinds of stuff. But I, I want to, you know, and doing podcasts with my friends and bringing on Ivan and doing the, the hometown heroes thing. And all of it's been fun. And I want to keep things different and interesting from week to week and give you something kind of a little different every time we do one of these things. So that's the aim that's the goal of the evening. If you are a fan of the podcast and I don't know you, which there's probably not a lot of you out there who I don't know who are listening, because I kind of look at my numbers and I, I figure most people that are listening are people who actually know me, friends, family, acquaintances, enemies who, who listen and, and plot my downfall. But there might be somebody out there who has no idea who I am, doesn't know anything about me. And uh, if that's you, I I welcome you to to my merry band of people that like to listen to what I have to say for some reason. I don't know why. But if you're one of those people, if you don't know who I am, you can follow me on the Twitters. Um, if you got Twitter, I have a Twitter, and I basically just shitpost and put memes that would offend most people, um, you know, talk about political stuff. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Engelman Samuel. 
And if you want to follow me on Instagram, I don't really talk about politics much on Instagram. I just post artsy-fartsy pictures of cool shit and stuff like that. Uh, and that is um, at Capo Cattle Co. on Instagram. But that's me on Instagram. That's me on Twitter. If you want to follow me on there and, you know, like all my stuff and, you know, stoke my ego and all that, you, you can do that if you want. But uh, anyways, back to prepper stuff. So... Um, in this book study we're going to do on the road, one of the very first things that happens in the, in the linear timeline of the road is like this, this world ending event. And it never openly says like what it is for sure, but it seems like from all the clues that you're given that it's some sort of explosion, like, uh, an asteroid hitting the earth, um, or maybe like the uh, the super volcano explodes in Yellowstone. Um, that seems to be the the kind of trigger that triggers the apocalypse in the road. And one of the first things that the the protagonist or one of the protagonists of the road does is as soon as he sees this giant explosion, He's standing there with his wife, and they're looking out the window, and they see this huge explosion. He immediately goes into the bathroom, and he starts to run the tub full of water. And his wife asks him if he's going to take a bath, and he says no. And what he's doing is he's filling up the bathtub so that they will have water when the power goes out, because he knows that is coming. And the thing I like about McCarthy is he doesn't dwell on this tiny little scene, but it's it's pretty obvious if you kind of read through the clues that like this is like the first action that the man in the book does that causes he and his wife and his son to survive because his first thought is to okay, what do I need to do? right in this exact moment, to ensure our survival? And he has a really good answer. It's water. Um, so that's kind of leading us into this idea of, like, what what do you need to do to prepare for the, you know, obvious eventual collapse of everything? And, you know, an asteroid, a, a nuclear winter, a zombie apocalypse, whatever it is. Um... Water's a really good place to start, I guess. It's not really where I wanted to start, but uh, it, it is the thing that is most important to you as a person. It's the thing that all the... This is why I said this is not going to be like a prepper thing from the TV show, because they this gets glossed over a lot, is the importance of water. And I guess I need a little disclaimer. I, I'm not an expert. It's not like I studied prepper school or some shit. I'm, I'm not somebody who is, uh, you know, a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger who who did all this super intense training and know everything about staying alive. That's not who I am. I'm just a regular guy who grew up in the country, who has read a lot, who knows a little bit about a whole bunch of different things. Uh, and I, I listen to and I read a whole bunch of people who know a whole lot more than I do. And that's where a lot of my knowledge comes from. But water. So what's your water situation in your in your house? Are you on city water? Do you have uh, 
a a backup of water? Do you have a water storage system in your house? Do you have any water on hand at all? Do you even have a case of bottled water in your pantry? Most people don't, um, but that's something you should probably think about. Uh, the The best possible thing I think you can have is your own water well, which most people, you know, if we're going by the numbers, most people don't have that. But uh, it's nice to have, and I'm speaking from experience here. I live out in the country. I have my own water well. And the only thing that's required for me to get water is electricity. And that's pretty nice because public water supplies are, you know, they're not foolproof. Things can happen. There can be, I don't know, it could be Flint, Michigan, and the water supply could become undrinkable. Um, And if that happens in your little city or town, what are you going to do? So, water is something you you should probably think about. Take a note. Take a take a lesson from the guy in the road and think about your water situation. Uh, water is pretty cheap for, you know, I, I don't want to say water is free because it isn't, but it's very cheap. And it's something that you can stockpile pretty easily, even if it's just buying some bottled water. Um, you should have you should have a lot of water on hand or a means to get a lot of water in a in a short period of time and uh, I don't know if you're lost in the woods you should all know like this is something that should be common knowledge but obviously you should not drink water straight from the putrid pond or the stream that you come across you should always boil water when you're kind of in the back country or if you're just getting water out of a out of a lake or out of a river you need to boil it so that you kill all the little microbes that are going to give you the all the bacteria and the bad stuff that's in the water you don't want to get uh, I think it's called giardia you don't want to get that it's not it's not a fun time so boil your water there's also a lot of uh, water purification devices out there you can they're cheap and easy you can buy them on amazon um you can buy iodine tablets you can there's ways to store water for long periods of time there's way to purify your water uh but anyways water water is important and it's one of the first things you should think about when you're thinking about if you're prepared for a bad situation and when i say a bad situation I think everybody's go-to all the time when you talk about prepping stuff is like, you know, into the world. It's, it's just like the book, The Road. Everything is ended. There's been a nuclear holocaust. There's zombies coming and knocking at your door. And that's just not, I mean, being prepared is not about, I mean, it's not about preparing for that. It's, it's anything, really. If there is a, a long stretch without electricity... Your water source and a whole bunch of other things are reliant on electricity. Are you prepared to deal with your situation without electricity for a little while? What if there is a tornado? What if there is a fire? What if what if you have an ice storm? I live in a part of the country where we get ice storms almost every year. There, there's at least a few days a year where I live, where we're going to be without electricity. And 
that's what we're talking about. When we t- when we talk about this stuff, we're not talking about dealing with the end of the world completely. We're we're talking about just being prepared to deal with a situation at least in the short term. Um and this kind of I mean a lot of this comes back to like when I was writing the books, I thought about this a bunch. There's a lot of people out there that if you turn off the electricity, they and and they didn't have anybody that could bring them stuff. Like if you turn off everybody's electricity, let's say pick a major city and turn off the electricity for 72 hours, do you understand how many people are going to lose their minds, turn it off for a week, an entire week? Do you know how many people are going to die just because there's no electricity for a week? It's more than you think it is. Um, So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, like square one when you're thinking about being a little prepared. You're not preparing for the zombie apocalypse. You're preparing for an ice storm that's going to come through and knock out your electricity for a week. Do you have a generator that can, you know, at least run your heater or your refrigerator or both for a, you know, for just a sh- a few days to, or even just, you know, 24 hours to run your heat, to run your heat at night? Um, I would suggest having some sort of, this is why I like my wood-burning stove, my house, even if all the electricity goes out uh, in the dead of winter, I've got a wood-burning stove. I can, I can operate without electricity and, and not freeze to death. And this is something that we take complete granted for in modern society is you don't really realize how reliant you are on electricity until the electricity goes out in the dead of winter. And when that happens, most people are like, oh, my electricity's out. I'll run over, you know, I'm going to run over to my parents and, and stay the night over there because there's like their electricity's on. And what if everybody's electricity's out? Where are you going to stay if nobody has electricity and there is no heat? Do you have enough blankets to keep yourself warm if it's, you know, zero, 10, 20 below? Um... Are your pipes all going to freeze up in your house and bust apart because you can't you can't get your house warm enough to keep your pipes from bursting? Uh so that's another thing to think about. Do you, you know, do you have a generator? Do you have a way to generate heat? Back before and this is one of my problems with global warming. Everybody talks about how terrifying global warming is. Way more people throughout human history died as a result of the cold than as a result of the heat. This is why all your population centers around the world are are kind of oriented at the equator. This is why most of a human civilization kind of started and thrived around temperate climates is because of the the cold living up in places where where it actually does get cold wasn't as accessible before electricity, before everybody had heat. So, heat's another thing to think about. Uh, maybe invest in a wood-burning stove, or at least invest in a generator. Invest in some way that you can keep yourself and your family warm if everything goes out in the middle of the winter. So everything so far we've talked about is kind of like your your shelter and your and your water situation, which there's... 
there's always like the big three, you know, water, shelter, and food. And that goes to kind of like the backcountry survival class thing. Like if you're lost in the backcountry, the the top three things you need are water, shelter, and food. You can go a long time without food. You can go a lot longer than you think without food. You can't go very long without water. You can go about three days without water, and that's not if you're that's if you're not being very active. So you need water. And if you're in, if you're in extreme conditions, extreme weather, you can't go very long without shelter either. So, things to think about. Water, food, shelter, basic, you know, common sense things that we take for granted because we all live in houses with, you know, smart phones and TVs and electricity and central heat and air and all that it takes for that to go out is the electricity. And your electricity can go off without a super volcano exploding in Yellowstone National Park, or without an asteroid hitting the world, your electricity can go off. And it can go off for more than just a few hours. So you should be aware of that. Your food, and your water, and your shelter. And when I used to think about, you know, prepping and stuff, or being prepared, I was always thinking about guns. Because I was young and I watched a lot of zombie stuff and I, I liked dystopian novels and, and apocalyptic stuff. And, and that's always, you know, we're always thinking Walking Dead. But if you're being realistic, that's, uh, that's not where your head should be as a, as a grown-up. You should think about these, these things like the simple, the water, the shelter. So what is, what is your shelter situation? What's your house? What do you have, you know, do you have backup energy? Do you have a do you have a way to keep things warm? Do you have generator? Do you have any extra fuel? Fuel's another one. Uh I don't know if you know this, but the if the electricity goes out, you're not pumping any gas. So, do you leave your car on empty all the time? Do you have even one 5-gallon jug? of gasoline in storage somewhere that you can get? Or or are you limited just by the, the gas that's in your the tank of your car? Um might be a good idea to have at least enough on hand to to fill your car up one time to get you somewhere that's going to be safer than wherever you are. Um so something else to think about. Might be a good idea to get a to get a gas tank out at your house. Uh, that's mostly like this podcast is more for people who live in the country. I'll be honest. If you're living in the city, um, g- good luck to you. If everything goes to hell, like my my advice, if you're if you're somebody who lives in the city, would be to to get out of the city if things start to go really bad. But uh, but that's just me. Anyways, so what's your fuel situation? What's your house situation? Water. Um, next thing, food. You can go. You can go a long time without food. But uh, I don't want that to sound like like oh, don't worry about food. You need to worry about food too. How much food do you have on hand? What's your What's your pantry look like? Do you have any canned food? Do you have any? You know, do you have any rice? Do you have any beans? Do you have you know, any kind of food storage, like how much food do you have on hand? 
Because this is another thing that people don't think about is when, when people don't have food, and let's say, add that they don't have food and they have a wife or children to take care of, I don't think every, I don't think anybody really kind of comprehends what people would be willing to do if their kids hadn't eaten for three or four days or a week or half a month. Do you think, and this is me coming from a place where I have a child now, if you had a child, is there anything you wouldn't do to keep your child from starving to death? Ugh. That's a little gritty. I, I, I don't think I'd be willing to do a whole bunch of real bad stuff uh, for my daughter. And most people out there would be willing to do those things too. So if you don't want to have to do really bad stuff in order to feed your family, you should have a little bit of food storage on hand. Um, I don't, it's not hard to, when you go to the grocery store, it's not hard to grab a couple, a few extra cans of, you know, vegetables, fruit, soup, you know, Vienna sausages, meat. Like, it's not hard to grab some canned goods. And canned goods last for a long, long, long time. The The expiration date that's on canned foods is a is not so much an expiration date as it is a hey, the food tastes best by this date. If there's no break on the seal or no, like, bend in the... Like, if there isn't a big dent in the can or if the seal isn't broken, that canned food lasts a really, really long time, way past its expiration date. And so you can throw, you know, 40, 50, 60 cans of food in your pantry and forget about it for years at a time and have a little bit of a insurance policy so that you can, you can feed your family. And then when it comes to stuff like rice and, uh, like beans that are like dry beans and dry rice, that stuff lasts indefinitely. Rice, especially rice lasts forever. You can fill up a five gallon bucket of, uh, just, rice and it will it will last forever grain rice dry beans that stuff just lasts and lasts and lasts for years and years and years put a five gallon bucket of it in your pantry and know that if worse comes to worse you have five gallons of rice that can keep your family from starving to death if everything goes to absolute shit um that's something that's something to think about food water shelter that's always that's number one. I mean, if we're if we're kind of listing things off as number one priorities, food, water, and shelter. What's next after that? That's that's kind of talking about you and your family and your house and your water and all that. Um, what what can you do like personally, individually though, to be a more prepared person? And after food, water, and shelter. The one that I think is really most important is probably your your health and your physical fitness. 
And if anybody knows me, they're probably kind of like laughing at this right now because I'm kind of I'm kind of a fat ass to be honest with you. Um, I I've always been pretty fat, and this is something that when I was younger, I didn't really appreciate the importance of my health. But as I get older, and as I kind of I don't know, every year you get old, older, you're marching closer to the grave. You start to think more about your health, especially when you have kids. I noticed when I had a kid, your health, especially in bad situations, is, I, I think, paramount. Um, if, if you can't jog a quarter mile, then you're in, you're in a bad situation if you want to, like, if you're intending to survive any sort of bad situation and your health is so bad that you can't jog a quarter mile, that's a that's a bad day for you. And I'm speaking from experience. Two two years ago I was probably in the worst shape of my life. I weighed three hundred pounds and I I couldn't jog a quarter of a mile. And that was kind of a wake up call for me. And I I finally realized like, man, I I have to do something about this. So I I started working out, started losing weight. I've I've lost sixty pounds so far, which isn't all that uh, impressive because I still weigh two hundred and forty pounds. Trying to lose that, but your health is something you need to start thinking about, especially the way things are going, the the way everything's looking, or just in general. You you want to start taking care of yourself, and it's so easy not to in the modern world where you can eat whatever you want and stuff your face all the time and and everything's convenient and easy you you have to make yourself suffer if you want to be healthy and you need to start doing it you need to start doing it today you need to stop making excuses and you need to start doing it because if you're not capable if you're not physically capable of things then all this other stuff doesn't matter. There's a there's a whole bunch of real just morbidly obese fat people who have all kinds of like guns and and stored food and water and, and they have this great like prepper situation, but they have, you know, type two diabetes and they weigh four hundred pounds. And they're they're not going to like if things get really bad they're not going to survive if they can't get their prescription refilled, let alone if anything bad happens. Um, I always think about that that Zombieland movie when I don't know if it was rule number one, but one of the first rules was cardio, and it's because if if you're a giant lard who is just extremely unhealthy, you're not going to make it, and that's just that's just reality. And if you're if you're somebody who is you know, was like me a couple years ago, you need to go ahead and face up to that and, and change it because you can have all the, all the guns and ammo in the world. And you're, if you can't, you know, if you can't pick up your rifle and jog a mile, uh, that rifle doesn't mean a damn thing. So you need to start thinking about your health, start getting in shape, get serious about it. Um, and just, just do it. It's, uh, if you, if you were waiting for the person to tell you it's time, uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but, uh, it's time. It's time to, it's time to get a, get a handle on your health. 
Um, so there's health. The next one that is, I would think, the next most important. You're probably expecting guns, but nope, not yet. We're not on. We're not on all the gun stuff. Uh, it is medical stuff. First aid. Um, you're way more likely to use a first aid kit than you are a gun. And if you are somebody who, you know, who carries a gun, you need to be carrying at least a tourniquet in, you know, if not on your person, you need to be carrying a tourniquet in your, in your vehicle. You really need to be carrying a a first aid kit in your vehicle because you're just statistically, you're way more likely to use that first aid kit than you are your weapon. And that's just the truth. And it's not like guns are really cool and everybody loves guns and it's really cool to shoot guns and it's cool to, to train with guns. But the medical stuff is way more likely to, to be something that you deal with. So if you don't know anything about anything when it comes to first aid or tourniquets or stopping a bleed or, you know, you know, fixing somebody who's choking, do you know how to give the Heimlich maneuver? Do you know how to clear somebody's like airway? Do you, do you know how to give CPR? Do you know how to run a, like an AED machine? Like those are things that you should know. And if you don't know them, you need to learn them because they are more important than than the gun stuff, than the than the other flashy, cool stuff that everybody really likes. Um, so if you've never taken any sort of first aid class, uh, you probably need to. At the very least, you need to you know you need to watch some YouTube videos and and get the theory of it at the very least. But I, I would say you need to take a course, at least a quick course in just general first aid stuff. Learn how to learn how to give CPR. Uh, learn how to run a an AED machine. Uh, just learn a little bit of the basics because that stuff is important and likely. Like if you pull up to a car wreck and you're the first one there, and let's say somebody's got a really bad bleed on their leg, and you have a tourniquet in your vehicle, and you can get the tourniquet on them, you might save their life where if you don't have anything, they're going to bleed out and die. And that's something you need to think about. So uh, first aid kit, tourniquet, um, tourniquet at the very least, and then just... That's something that you need to research on your own. You need to learn a little bit about first aid. You need to learn about what needs to be in a first aid kit. And I guess my advice is you don't just need to go to Walmart and buy the first aid kit with like Mickey Mouse Band-Aids and ibuprofen in it. You need to you need to buy a real first aid kit with real, with actual kind of pertinent stuff to traumatic injuries. Because that's what a first aid kit's for. First aid kit isn't for like, oh yeah, I have an aspirin for you, or oh you have a sunburn. Here's you know, here's some uh, sunburn lotion from my first aid kit. That's that's not what a first aid kit is for. A first aid kit is for, holy cow, this guy's got a nicked femoral artery, and we need to get a tourniquet on this. Um, so. Get yourself a decent first aid kit. Invest in that. Put it in your vehicle. Um, put it on your kit. 
keep it close to you and keep it where you can get to it. Um, all right, next, let's talk about the thing everybody likes to talk about. Guns. I love guns. Everybody loves guns. So, what does a red-blooded American man or woman need when it comes to guns? Well, if you're not a gun person, if you're not somebody who has guns, owns guns, what do you need? What's the most important thing? Um, I used to think that the most important thing was a rifle first. And there's an argument to be made for that. But honestly, with the, with the rise of concealed carry and with kind of what everyday life looks like, I'm starting to think that the most important first gun for everybody is a pistol. And I think that because if you're going to carry something, you're going to carry a pistol. Most people aren't going to carry a rifle in their vehicle. Um, But if they get into self-defense, if they get into concealed carry, uh, a pistol. A pistol is something that is... I would say required if you want to be if you want to be prepared for dealing with bad situations. So, what do you need? What kind of pistol do you need? There are so many pistols out there that are in the kind of subcompact compact vein of what you need. And I mean the the government has raised the age to 21 to own a pistol. Um, a long time ago, it used to be 18, but now it's 21. So I guess I'm talking to you if you're over 21. I don't know. I, I owned my first pistol when I was 16. So I'm not telling anybody to break the law or you can't buy a pistol until you're 21, but that doesn't mean you can't possess a pistol before 21. Look up the laws in your state, figure it out on your own. But anyway, pistols, what do you need? Well, I think that the there's a few different models that are decent. And the first thing I'll tell you is don't don't go cheap. You don't want to go bottom of the barrel cheap for a pistol. Don't buy a Taurus, okay? Don't buy a high point. Don't buy a cheap off-brand gun. Because it's just it's just a waste of money. You're gonna if you actually get into guns, you're gonna eventually buy something that's quality. So you might as well just start there at the beginning. And if you're buying something super cheap and that's the only thing you're gonna buy, you're probably one of those people that's never gonna train with it anyway. So it won't really matter all that much because when the time comes to use it, you won't even know what you're doing. But what do you need? You need a Here's a few models for you. Um, first off, the I think the greatest concealed carry gun that has ever been made in modern history is the SIG uh, P365. Either the regular 365 or the P365 XL. Um, SIG, everybody in the gun world has been waging this, uh, this concealed carry war this fight over who's going to make the perfect concealed carry gun. And SIG won. SIG won when they came out with the 365. 
Um, that's what I carry. That's what my wife carries. That's what my brother carries. That's what a couple cousins I have carry. Like it, they won. The SIG P365XL is what I carry. I think it is the hands-down best concealed carry gun that has ever been made. And this is me coming from a place of I've carried probably, I don't know, 15 different concealed carry guns since I was 18. And of all the different guns I've carried, the the 365 by Sig Sauer is hands down the best one. Uh, that's not to say that's the only one. It is the best one in my opinion. Some other options you should look at if you're looking at a subcompact, something that you're going to conceal carry. Um, you might think about a Glock 43. You might think about a Glock 26. You might think about a uh, Smith & Wesson MMP. I think it's called the Shield. Uh, Springfield Hellcat is pretty good. Oh, man. There's so many. The Walther PPS, I had one of those for a while. It was a pretty decent gun. It, it was really nice to carry. It just didn't have the capacity of some of the others. Uh I really think a single stack, if, you, if you're not going to get the 365, the 365 is a double stack magazine that feels like a single stack pistol, but there's a whole bunch of single stack 9mm out there that are just great. Uh, and if you're buying a, a Smith & Wesson, a Glock, a Sig, a Walther, um, you're, doing, you're doing just fine if you buy one of those. Don't buy a Taurus. Um, don't buy some weird off-brand thing because it's a little cheaper. Uh, don't buy a 380. There's so many good guns that are made in subcompact that come in 9mm that a 380 is just not viable anymore. It's outdated. It's underpowered. Don't buy a 380. And uh, my advice would also be don't, don't try to buy one of those single-stack you know, Springfield 45 caliber. 45 is great. It has more, you know, has more power than a nine millimeter, but it's not, it's not, it's not so good that you need to give up extra rounds in a concealed carry gun for a 45. If you want to get a good concealed carry gun, you need yourself a small subcompact nine millimeter. And you need that because it will be small enough that you will actually carry it every day. If you buy something that's too big, what you're going to find is you're going to find yourself not carrying it. And you're not going to carry it because it's it's too big, it's too bulky, and you, you're like, man, I just don't want to put that thing on. It's too big. And, and that's what will happen if you buy something that's too big. So you want to go small if you're going concealed carry. SIG P365. Glock 43, Smith & Wesson, M&P Shield, Springfield, Hellcat, Walther PPS, something in that vein. And and those aren't all the ones that are that are quality. Those are just the ones that I'm thinking off the top of my head cuz I didn't make notes before I started this podcast. This is all just me talking off the cuff. Um that's what I think is the most important to be honest because I think people need to need to get comfortable with concealed carrying because 
the likelihood of you, you know, grabbing your full kit, your AR and your plate carrier and all your magazines and and going downtown to, you know, fight people is not all that realistic. But using your concealed carry gun to stop a threat is, you know, way more likely than the rest of that. Um, along with that comes, you, you need to buy a quality holster. Don't buy a cheap nylon piece of crap, you know, $15, $20 holster. Spend some money, buy a really decent holster. Um, Alien Gear makes a really good holster. Uh, Black Point Tactical, I think, is the one I have. They make a pretty good holster. There's a there's a thousand different holster companies that make all kinds of holsters. Find one that's not super cheap, and you're probably gonna be you're probably gonna be doing okay. Buy yourself a good holster. Buy yourself a decent carry gun, and that's where I think everybody should start. That doesn't mean that I don't think rifles are important because I absolutely do. So next step after a concealed carry gun, I think, is a rifle. And what rifle, you ask? What rifle do I need? Well, in America, the most prolific, popular rifle is the AR-15. And I think if you're going to be one of those people who only owns a couple guns, I think the things that are most important would be owning a concealed carry gun, like a SIG P365, and owning a very decent AR-15. If you're just talking about baseline, you know, the, the smallest investment necessary to be prepared for bad stuff. So what kind of an AR-15 do you need? Well, um, just like pistols, there are a thousand different manufacturers for AR-15s. And just like I said before with pistols, you don't want to go super cheap when it comes to an AR-15. You want to go kind of, if you're on a budget, the, the cheapest thing I think you should buy, and this is just my opinion, and, and this is, not everybody has to agree with me, but the cheapest thing you should buy if you are on a budget, I would say is Palmetto Armory. Um, Palmetto makes kind of like, they're on the lower side of mid-tier AR-15s. And Palmetto is is one of the companies that just, they churn out a bunch of guns. And they should just, they should be commended just for the fact that they're making it um, economical for people to buy a decent rifle that functions. Um, so... They come in around, I don't know, you, you can get a decent Palmetto AR-15 for a thousand bucks, probably, maybe a little under a thousand bucks, um, but that's kind of bottom of the barrel. What do you need on that gun? Well, iron sights are great. But you probably need an optic. You probably need a red dot or a uh, variable optic, a, a one to you know a one to six power scope or a red dot or 
I, I'm, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with all this stuff, but you need an optic or a decent set of sights on the rifle. Uh, you also need a light on your rifle, uh, a flashlight, a decent flashlight, a, a, if you want to go kind of name brand, um, Surefire does lights. There's a whole bunch of people that do lights for guns. Um, I own a couple off-brand, well, not really off-brand. They're called Phoenix. They're kind of a mid-tier flashlight. Get something that takes those lithium-ion batteries that is super bright. Just, you know, spend 80 to to 100 bucks at least on a good light. A good optic and a good light, because most bad things that happen when it comes to shootings happen in low-light situations. And you don't you don't want to have a a fighting rifle without a light on it. So AR-15, good optic, decent light. Um, the I would say the the lowest tier you need to aim at is a Palmetto. The upper tiers uh, of ARs, Sig Sauer makes really good ARs. Um, Bravo Company Manufacturing makes really good ARs. Sig Sauer, I think I already said. Bravo. Let's see. Who else? Um, if you want to go high-end, Daniel Defense makes really good ARs. Uh, Noveski makes really good ARs. But like I said before, everybody makes ARs. Uh, Smith & Wesson, Ruger, just everybody you can imagine. There's a thousand different manufacturers out there. So if you're buying an AR, you you want to you spend $1,000 to get a to get a kind of decent AR platform, whether it's a whether it's a Smith or whether it's a Bravo company or you know Palmetto or Novesky. I mean, if you want to spend a lot of money, get a Novesky. Or if you want to spend a lot, a lot of money, uh, you can get a Sig MCX. But a lot of different options out there. The AR is really good. Um, kind of a runner-up to that, where maybe it won't be as much money, is a AK platform type rifle. There aren't as many manufacturers of AKs in the U.S. as there are AR-15s. There's a lot of really crappy import laws that keep us from getting a lot of AKs in the U.S. Uh, once again, Palmetto makes some pretty decent AK-47s. Um, they are... They're a, they're not as good an option as an AR, in my opinion, but uh, they shoot a different caliber. It's got a little more punch. An AK-47 has a little bit more punch, a little less accuracy most of the time uh, versus an AR. I will say AKs are more fun to shoot, and the I don't know. There's something that is cooler about AK-47s than AR-15s, just in my humble opinion. But you can you can think about an AK. You might spend a little bit less money than an AR and still get kind of a decent uh, rifle. But um, as prolific as the AR is, an AR makes the most sense. So an AR, an AK, um, there are other options out there. I mean, I think what you want, you want at least something that is a semi-automatic uh, magazine-fed rifle. 
as your, I don't know, we'll call this your number two gun. Um, some other semi-automatics besides an AR-15 or an AK would be like a, a Mini-14. Um, Mini-14s are, I don't know, I always thought they were pretty cool looking. They're, they're inaccurate as all get out there. They're not, they're not great rifles, but they, I mean, it's better than a sharp stick. Um, AR, AK, Mini-14, and then there's, there's a whole bunch of other options out there besides that, but those are kind of the big three semi-automatic, magazine-fed, you know, 5.56, 223s, and then the AK is a 7.62 by 39. Those are your big three. Um... Beyond that, like if that's something that you're just not in your wheelhouse or just not in your not in your level of like you you can't get that, let's say, or or you don't wanna you don't want a magazine fed rifle and you, you just wanna something else that's a little bit less than that. Uh a lever action open sight rifle is not a not a terrible idea, you know, if you're just not gonna buy an AR. And don't get me wrong, you should own an AR, you should own an AK, that should be the rifle. But if you're just not going to buy that, um, you know, maybe a, maybe a lever gun, maybe a, uh, maybe a Winchester 3030 wouldn't be a bad idea. Maybe a, a Henry uh, rifle, um, Winchester, Henry, Marlin, all make really nice lever guns, um, and lever guns are great guns uh they're not you know they're not serious kind of like self-defense rifles but uh if you're talking about hunting and just shooting they're they're good rifles to have um bolt actions you need i I think that every every man should own a, a decent concealed carry pistol that ar or ak platform we talked about and a good bolt gun where you can shoot something out to 500 yards um there's and just like everything else there's a whole bunch of different manufacturers models and all kinds of stuff when it comes to bolt action rifles but uh the good old classics would be something like a a remington or a savage uh, the cartridge would be like a, you know, a 308, a 30 a 6.5 more is pretty popular nowadays. Um, but bolt, bolt action would be great. And then, uh, last but not least, maybe a shotgun. Um, and if we're talking about a defense shotgun, which I, I'm not one of those people that thinks the best thing for home defense is a shotgun. But uh, if that's your bag, if you're a shotgun person, um, you can get shotguns as far as just like availability and economically, you can get shotguns way cheaper than all this other stuff. If you're somebody who's who's you know poor on a budget, you you don't have the money to spend, you know, a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars on an AR, and you want something that's going to have a little bit more, you know punch than your concealed carry pistol you know they sell remington 870s still today they sell remington 870s you can get them for probably 400 bucks 
Um, Remington, 870, 12 gauges. Mossberg, 500s. Both of those are, are really decent guns. You know, they usually come in a hunting uh, configuration, but you can buy them in a home defense or shorter barrel, 18-inch barrel, extended magazine, you know, hold six, seven rounds. Uh, but those are those are your shotguns. Not a bad idea to have a shotgun around. Um, like I said, I, I say that I'm not a big fan of home defense shotguns, but my my AR-15 is locked in my pickup, and what I have in my bedroom is a 12 gauge shotgun. So, you know, I say I'm not a big shotgun guy, but that's what I've got in my bedroom for bumps in the night. So, anyways, rifles, shotguns, bolt guns, lever guns, uh, whatever it is, a gun would be a good idea. You need a pistol, you need a rifle. Um, If you're going to follow my advice to the letter and get yourself an AR-15, or if you already have an AR-15 and you're wondering what, what you should do next, um... Ammo. If you're going to have a gun, you have to have the ammo that goes in it. And that ammo in an AR-15 feeds into the rifle via your magazines. You need more than one magazine. Um, I I don't know why I know people, but I know people that have like one or two magazines for their, you know, AR-15s, Mini-14s. And you should not just have one or two magazines. At the very least, at the very least, you should have, I would say, four magazines. And at the very, very least, I would say you need to have on hand two, three hundred rounds. And that's, I'm telling you, low side right now. That's that's low side. And there's a lot of people who would tell you, like, you should have thousands and thousands of rounds of ammo. But, you know... A lot of people don't have the money to have thousands and thousands of rounds of ammo sitting around. But if you want a good baseline, you need at least four magazines, and you need, I would say, 250-500 rounds of ammunition for your rifle. You also need something to carry that ammunition beyond your back pocket. Whether that is a, you know, a, a sling pouch or a, a chest rig or even a, a plate carrier, a vest. You, you need something where you can carry your kit. Which, when I say kit, I mean your rifle magazines, your first aid kit, uh, your spare magazines for your pistol, all that stuff. You, you need some sort of configuration where you can pick up your rifle and your spare ammunition for your rifle and your spare ammunition for your pistol and your pistol and you can you can be well armed and ready to move. Um, that's something you need to be thinking about when it comes to your rifle and your setup for your rifle. Uh, if we want to go all the way... Um, I used to think body armor was something that kind of would never be needed. But uh, the weirder things get, 
the more I kind of think that if you're going to get really, if you're going to get serious about things, if you think that the the possibility of you ever getting in a gunfight is, you know, an actual possibility, body armor might be something you want to think about. And it's not that expensive. Uh, you can get some some decent plates for not too much money and a decent plate carrier for not too much money. When it comes to plates, you do not want to buy steel plates. Even if they have a coating on them, you don't want to buy steel plates. Because if you have steel plates and you actually get shot in a steel plate, even if it has a coating on it, there's going to be some... If a bullet hits a steel plate, the bullet explodes. And if you're wearing that steel plate that the bullet hits, the bullet's going to explode on you. Um, So you don't want steel plates. You want some sort of ceramic plating. Uh, There's levels of body armor, and um, it goes from soft, just Kevlar body armor, which is designed to stop pistol caliber rounds all the way up to level four body armor that's built to stop you know 30-06 hunting rounds from a big rifle uh the the best option to kind of get the balance between uh lightness and stopping power is probably a level three plus plate because that's going to stop everything up to a, I think stops everything up to a .30-06, but it's still not all that bulky. Um, level 4 plates are usually quite a bit bulkier than level 3 or level 3 plus. And, you know, they stop more, you know, higher caliber, more velocity than a 3 plus. But the trade-off, they, they're way more heavy. They're way more bulky uh, than than th- level 3 plates. So, honestly, you can usually get level 4 plates cheaper than you can get level 3 plates, uh, is what I've found. But, um, like I said, that's kind of like, if you want to get really serious about it, you might want to think about think about some plating. Uh, a good place if you are somebody who, who's thinking about body armor, uh, RMA is a good company, decent pricing, um, ship it all over the country. They're, they're pretty good. Um, that's where I actually do have some, some plates and I got them from RMA and they're pretty quick, pretty, pretty reasonably priced. They're not out of the ballpark. Um, so, a gun, magazines, a plate carrier, if you want to get serious, um, a way to carry your ammunition, a way to carry your first aid kit, all that good stuff. All that's the, all that's the cool, like, gun guy stuff that everybody's really into, and I'm here for that. That's what I'm about. I love guns. I love all that stuff. So, what else do we need to talk about when it comes to guns i feel like if i go any deeper it's going to get too much for a lot of people and we're already coming up on an hour so i should probably think about how we're going to wrap this up 
Last thing. Let's talk about the last thing that I think is important for for preparation. And this is something that, again, I think a lot of people miss out on. And this is networking. If you are just a man alone on an island when it comes to like really bad stuff going on, you're not going to fare well. You need to have a network of people who you can rely on, who you trust, who you like, and who are capable if you're going to survive bad things beyond just, you know, a power outage. Um, and this is something I think everybody kind of understands and knows that they should probably think about, but nobody likes to think about it because nobody likes to think about things getting really bad. But because that's what this podcast is about and we're, we're screwing on our tinfoil hats as, as tightly as we can, we're going to think about our networking. Who's in your network? Who are your friends? Who is your family? Who are the people that if everything goes really, really bad, who are the people you're going to lean on? And what skills and material do those people bring to the table when it comes to bad situations? That's something that you need to start thinking about. And you need to start, if you're serious about this, you need to start thinking about what kind of a network you have and what kind of an what kind of a network you would like to plug yourself into. And everybody would like to, you know, the the perfect network. Everybody would love to be friends with, you know, a whole bunch of high-speed ex-Navy SEALs and, you know, Delta dudes, right? Every, everybody would love to be friends with people who have all this military training and combat background and and cool guns and I don't know maybe they have a a Hummer with a 50 cal mounted on the top but that that's not 99.99% of people on the other hand you need to think about who is in your network realistically like who do you have and and what do they what could they provide to you and to a group as value added to the group and this isn't just like oh you know jimbo my my old hillbilly friend jimbo he got a lot of guns it's not just that um it is this goes back to everything we talked about do you have anybody in your in your network that is in the medical profession do you have anybody with any you know, do you have any doctors in your network? Do you have any, uh, do you have any nurses in your network? Do you have any pharmacists in your network? Because if things go really bad, uh, bullets are super awesome. Guns are super awesome. But you know what is probably more likely that you're going to need? Antibiotics, drugs, medicine, uh, somebody with some general knowledge of, you know, how to treat wounds, that's, uh, that's probably more likely. Do you have anybody in your network that is of that persuasion? A lot of people don't. It's something you should think about. It's something that if you don't have anybody in your network that has any knowledge 
like that, maybe you should think about at least gaining some of that knowledge yourself or trying to befriend some pharmacists or doctors, I guess. Um, Also, I mean, beyond that, do you have people in your network who are physically fit, who are steady, somebody you can count on? Do you have people in your network that know how to, you know, are comfortable with firearms, could could actually provide security for a group of people? Do you have people in your network who can, you know, if we're talking about families, are there people in the network who are going to be able to wrangle all the kids while people are pulling security, while people are out hunting, while people are working on stuff, while people are fixing vehicles, while people are trying to figure out the water situation, the energy situation, the food situation. There's a lot of support that goes into a a kind of smaller society. Think about all the things in your life that you have to do every day. Do you have people in your network that can can pitch in and, and help when it comes down to to doing work or are you somebody who is really bringing nothing to the table because I'll tell you right now when things get bad even if you're friends with people if things are getting really bad and you you're wanting the support of a group of people if you want to if you want to plug your in plug yourself into a network of people and provide that are going to provide support for each other in a bad situation. Are you that person who is bringing nothing of value to the group? Because if you are, if you are that person, if you're honest with yourself and you look at yourself in the mirror and you are, you know, way, you know, overweight, out of shape, you have no, you don't have any experience with any sort of uh, medical stuff. You have no experience with guns. You've never hunted in your life. You have some sort of cushy job. You don't have a truck. You know, you drive, you drive a Toyota Prius and you work at a, oh man. Let's go back to the homeschool thing and piss people off some more. You work at a public school. You drive a Prius with a Hillary Clinton sticker on the back of it. You don't own any guns. You have no food storage. You have no applicable skills at all. Do you really think people are going to want you in their network? All the people that you know that are your friends, how long are they going to put up with you if the only thing you really bring to the table is another mouth to feed when things are really bad and they're trying to feed their children. And if that's you, if you're one of those people, you should try to stop being one of those people. If you, I don't know, if you think that you want to be prepared. If you don't want to be prepared at all, if you want to rely on the the optimistic hope that everything is only ever going to get better and we're going to live in some sort of uh, the Jetsons future where life is going to be super easy and you're going to be kind of 
zooming your fat ass around on a on a scooter and not having to do absolutely anything because robots bring you all of your stuff like that Wally movie. If if you think that that's where we're headed, then I guess, you know, keep on keeping on, my friend. You know, go crazy with it. But if you think that that's maybe not what's going to happen, if you think it's possible that things might get bad, you might need to start thinking about the type of person you want to be in the event that things get bad. Do you want to be somebody that is capable? Do you want to have the knowledge of uh, how to set a broken arm without going to the emergency room? Because there is no emergency room right now. Do you want to be the person who knows how to, you know, fix mechanical stuff, deal with motors and vehicles? I'll be honest right now, that's my shortcoming. I don't know jack about mechanics. I, I suck at, at being a mechanic. Um, but do you want to be the type of person that knows absolutely nothing outside of the cushy modern world? Or do you want to be the type of person who knows how to raise livestock? Who knows how to work with horses? Who knows how to fix things? Who understands uh, firearms? Who can, who can maybe provide a little training for somebody who's never held a gun in their life. Uh, because I'll tell you right now, if you have a network of motivated people, even, even if it's somebody who, and this is why I own more than one rifle, if you have a friend who doesn't know anything about anything when it comes to guns, but they are capable and willing to learn, uh, it's really awesome to have like a super like Gucci kit and you have a super expensive Noveski rifle. And let's say you even are super rich and you have a night vision and a high speed plate carrier and awesome, all kinds of awesome gear, but you have no friends. Is that better than the guy who has just some, just a, kind of a budget setup, but has six or seven rifles and six or seven friends that he can distribute those rifles to? Is it better to have super expensive gear and be all on your own or have a small network of people who you can train over the course of a couple weeks and all of a sudden you have a, a small little war band that you can operate with? Uh, I would say the, the second one is going to put you ahead of the guy who's all by himself but has the really expensive gear. That's just my two cents, though. Anyways, I feel like I'm starting to ramble at this point. But I'll leave you with this. If you are the person who doesn't have any applicable skills outside of the cushy modern world with all of its central heat and air and grocery stores, and everything is perfect, you need to start taking a look and thinking about how fragile all this is. And you need to start having a little more respect for, for everything that goes into keeping the modern world running the way it is. 
all those guys that are out there producing your energy and working on your electricity and working on your plumbing and working on the sewage in the cities and everything. If everything goes to hell, all of those things that you are used to working are going to stop working within the month. And you have no knowledge on how to fix any of them. And you have no logistics on how to fix any of them. So you should start thinking about what would I do, what could I do, if that happened. Think about it. And I will see you next time. We will talk about the road next time. We'll we'll look at a world where this big old apocalypse happened And we will look at what happened to those type of people when we get to the summary and analysis of the road at the end of the month. I will catch you guys next time on the Capo Podcast. Thank you for your time.